Welcome to Swordplay. Nick, in the news, I saw that rapper Coolio has passed away at age 59. He is the creator of hit songs like Fantastic Voyage and Gangster Paradise. Did you see that in the news, Nick? Yeah, sad news uh, for sure. But uh, on the bright side, he did get to see 24. I'm 23, (laughs) never will I live to see 24 the way things is going, I don't know. I've been living most of my life living in a gangster's paradise. Too soon, too soon. I never can judge these things. Classic. <clears throat> yes. If you grew up in the is... 90s, that song will always be in your memory banks. That's right. This is Swordplay. We are your hosts. I am Nick Perez, preaching minister for the Davis Park Church of Christ in Modesto, California. I'm Alex Flood, evangelist for the Lake Phelan Church of Christ in St. Paul, Minnesota. On this episode of Swordplay, we're doing an after hours with a special announcement. That's right, special announcement. And you may have noticed that we have not been putting out content and episodes quite as frequently in past seasons. And you know, there's a reason for that. Uh, Basically, it's my fault, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, all right. (laughs) So we'll just get that out there. But no, there's a big transition going on in my family for for the Flood household, and we are moving from Minnesota to Kansas, and that move will take place next year, probably around May. And uh, yeah, in that transition, it's been hard to delegate time and uh, priority to the podcast and to other various ministries, just in light of where should my focus be? You know, we have uh, important circles of people that we need to pay attention to. We have our church here at Lake Phelan. We have our supporting uh, congregations and individual supporters in Kansas. And then, of course, we have our family unit that we all need to um, consider, my wife and I, as we figure out, okay, what's our goal this this month, this week, this day, and how do we delegate our, our time and prioritize our tasks in light of those goals? And so, yeah, along with that then comes the special announcement that this will be the last episode of Swordplay for an indefinite period of time. I imagine one day we'll come back to this, but in the meantime, we're going to leave all the episodes up for archival purposes for reference because that's what we created it for anyway it's not necessarily a binging type of podcast although we have a few super fans out there who do that so this uh will be the last official podcast making our special announcement now and so we encourage you to as you study the bible go back and listen to past episodes if it aligns with your current interest in bible studies and uh yeah just keep a keep an eye out and an ear out for any kind of uh, special content we may release in the future. And so that's the special announcement, Nick. What are your thoughts? We're pulling a DC talk, all right? We're not we're not breaking up the band, contrary to rumors. <laughs> we're just on hiatus. That's right. I've been that's listening right. to a lot of DC talk lately. So we, there, was a, <laughs> there was a DC talk CD for free at church, and I grew up listening to... Uh, the Jesus Freak album, and then uh, there was another one, the, the album right before that, 
that I can't think of the title. I'll, I'll pull it up here in a second. But um, uh, Free at Last, that was it. Free at Last and Jesus Freak, those were the two albums that um, our family, we would listen to them all the time when we were in the car. And so when I saw that CD, I was like, oh, no way. And I turn it over and I start going through the song list on the back and all the songs, I can hear them in my head. And sure enough, I put that disc in the CD player and I knew every lyric to every song. <laughs> and my boys were like, how do you know these songs? I was like, I listened to them when I was your age. And so... What's DC Talk's most famous song? Uh, well, Jesus Freak is a, uh, a big one. Um let me see here. I'll pull up. I have to confess, Nick. I'm not sure if I've ever heard DC talk. Well, you know, I mean, Christian contemporaries, not for everybody, but Free at Last and Jesus Freak, those two albums released in 92 and 95 respectively, changed the Christian contemporary music scene. Um, they did a cover of Jesus is Just All Right. Um, that was kind of upbeat uh, tempo. Um but uh, but yeah, G Jesus Freak actually like made like the Billboard 200 charts. That's how big it was, and like it was it was being played on like secular radio stations. Uh, Between You and Me, that was another one that uh, that kind of went big back in the day. That one that one uh, I think even did better in like on on secular stations, but. Uh, that whole in, that whole C CD Jesus Freaks is just great. I forgot back in '95, huh? Mid '90s, yeah. I was still listening to tapes back then, so I had. I remember my older brother; he was starting to get CDs, but I still was having the tapes. And you know what my favorite tape was? Weird Al Yankovic. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one. Bad Hair Day. What what ten year olds you know wouldn't wouldn't love Weird Al Yankovic in 1995? And uh, and and guess what their their hit his hit song was back then, Amish Paradise was one Amish of them. Paradise. That's right. That was on the Bad Hair Day uh, tape. I was like Gangsters Paradise, which I don't know that one. I know Amish Paradise. I know the words to that one. <laughs> well, that's you know I know the lyrics to both songs. So, <laughs> uh, what a claim to fame. So anyway, we're we're pulling a DC talk. We're not breaking up the band. DC talk never broke up. They just they're on indefinite hiatus. And uh, like wait, have they not put out any albums since '95? Uh, Supernatural was the last CD or yeah album that they put out, and that was um, in 2000. And then um, they Toby Mac, of course, has his solo career, and he's he's cranked out a bunch of albums. They have gotten together to do like different projects. Um, they wrote some books in the mid 2000s, but, um, and then they got together for, you know, just like performances, um, like special performances. But yeah, no albums uh, since, since 2000. What does the DC stand for in DC talk? You know, I forget, and I, I don't think I'm gonna be able to find it very quickly. Um, oh, here we are. Decent Christian talk. Look at that. I found it very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise myself. Decent Christian talk. DC the power talk. of the power of Google. That's right. <laughs> Google's like the Palantir from uh, Lord of the Rings. It's like you just put your hand on it. 
search and see and know whatever you want to know. It's also a channel for Morgoth to twist and, and for Sauron to, to distort your thoughts. I've been watching Rings of Power. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been, I, I see the advertisements. I just, I haven't watched anything. It's very good. You know, there's some, a lot of uh, super fans who just complain about it all the time. And yet they're still watching. So <laughs> <laughs> there was a Babylon Bee article about that that said, uh, Star Wars fans super excited for the new uh, Andor series so that he can have something to hate again. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh my, you guys, do you not understand that you're getting... Uh, like theatrical, like cinematic quality production and soundtrack for free, like not just for like one movie. So you can complain about, you know, this two hour story. You're getting like 50 hours of this. And so I just feel like people are being way too critical, way too picky. I mean, Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, it's going to be over 50 hours and they got the same composer who did the movies. They they got the um uh oh man, now his name is slipping slipping. Who 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 is the composer for the Lord of the Rings movies? I don't know, Hans Zimmer? No, 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 no. Is uh <laughs> Well why you why you look that up? Um I just want to say that um Howard Shore. Go ahead. The, Sorry. the great American pastime now is complaining about content. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Howard free Shore. content. Free content. <laughs> Howard Shore, that's the guy, huh? Yeah, Howard Shore. So so you know, he's he's the guy who did the music for the Lord of the Rings movies and the Hobbit movies and now he's doing the music for the Rings of Power TV series. It's just like, dude, you're getting super high quality content. And so people are just complaining cuz it's just like, oh, well, like, you know, it's deviating from this part or it's messing up the timeline here. And it's just like, listen, this is still really awesome. <laughs> nah, it's trash. That's nah, garbage. Ah. <laughs> Tolkien rolling in his grave. She's like, you know what, dude? Tolkien only released The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. We wouldn't know anything about anything without Christopher Tolkien, his son, who did an incredible job releasing all of the backstory stuff. The Silmarillion and uh, all the stories of Middle Earth. And there's even a new one coming out this November. Uh which it's still J.R.R. Tolkien's work, but it's uh, edited by, I forget who his name is, but it was over, the project was overseen by Christopher Tolkien before he died, because uh, I think Christopher Tolkien died in 2020. And so, anyway, it's called The Fall of Numenor, so it ties in, it's like a nice curated collection of all the stories of the Second Age, which is, that's what the Rings of Power is about, it's about the Second Age. And so... Yeah, I remember last time we did an After Hours, we talked about what books we're reading, and I was like, well, I got the Silmarillion, I'm going to start reading it, and I have, I've been reading it to my kids every night, and so it's uh, super interesting, really good stuff. Um, I'm I'm actually yeah. reading uh, Tolkien's friend C.S. Lewis's um, Space Trilogy right now. Yeah? Did you know uh, Tolkien and Lewis... Uh, made a bet with each other they're like uh about writing it was like a challenge to write about uh 
time and space travel. So Lewis took the space travel and Tolkien took the time travel. Uh, I feel but, like we've talked about that before. Like just not not an official after hours episode, but an after after hours conversation. <laughs> well, they challenged you. They, they were a big part of getting each other's uh, to release their work. So, well, Lewis was a big part of getting Tolkien to publish his writings. And so, uh, but Tolkien was a big part of Lewis's conversion to Christianity. And so I know we've talked about that before, uh, but I didn't know about the space trilogy coming out of a challenge from Tolkien and Lewis. And so Lewis, you know, he, his travel through space, you know, went on to th- be three books, but, uh, Tolkien actually, he took the time travel route, but he abandoned it. He never finished it. But, um, the way he did time travel was really interesting. He basically, he took the Assassin's Creed route for time travel, where you basically go back and you sort of live in the eyes of your like ancestor. And so it was pretty, pretty interesting, but that was never, it was, it was abandoned. It was never released, but like it takes somebody from, from the modern age and like puts them back in the body of their ancestor from, from Numenor, which is the Atlantis story, basically, you know, the superpower Island of, of people and its eventual destruction. So, which is what the show is, you know, building towards, but of course the show can't, uh, recast everybody every year. <laughs> so you can't like go through, you know, two, two or 3000 years of, of history without recasting all the humans every year. So you, <laughs> you have to compress the storyline into like a single coherent thing so you can keep the same cast of characters. That's garbage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. I, you know, people love the Chronicles of Narnia. They love mere Christianity. And, man, the Space Trilogy is just, it's tough. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not great. Is it? Yeah. And I'd, I kind of heard that before, that, you know, there's a reason it's not well known. <laughs> and so, but it's, you know, I'm about 60 pages into the first novel. And, I don't know, it's just... It's, <laughs> but you know what? It, but here's the thing, and and I gotta, you know, you gotta you gotta contextualize it, because I was I was looking at the publications dates, and Lewis published these the first uh, uh, space trilogy novel, which is called uh, Out of the Silent Planet. He published that in the late '30s. That's 60 years <laughs> before we walked on the moon. And so it's like, well, all right, I'll give him a little grace here that he doesn't get space travel quite right or, you know, they're walking around on Mars without any suits. And so, but that was, I mean, even up until like the, well, I mean, Ray Bradbury had the Martian Chronicles and that had a bunch of people living on there. There's an episode of the of Twilight Zone where they, uh, well, there's several episodes where they're going out into space and like they're walking on asteroids or they're walking on Mars and no suits, no spacesuits, anything like that. So that's just kind of the way a lot of folks thought about it. And so, you know, all right, that's all right. I'll, I'll let it slide, you know, suspension of disbelief and all that. But, uh, well, in all fairness, Nick, um, Stanley Kubrick didn't get the moon landing right either. So that's, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> that flags waving and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Lights coming trash. in from the wrong direction. Yeah, it's just yeah. garbage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Soundtrack wasn't great either. Yeah. 
<clears throat> it was impressive how they got there though in the 60s with uh, technology uh, not even as good as like an 80s Game Boy so <laughs> yeah more uh, or less computing power than a calculator I think one of yeah. our calculators today <laughs> That's why I love the scene in um, Apollo 13. Well, the whole movie is great, but you have all these nerds doing trigonometry with like slide rules and stuff. And it's like, golly, how do they, how do they do it? You know, that's right. How did they do it? Man. Very just, interesting. They're super smart. Best and brightest. There you go. The uh, most advanced, uh, old school computer graphics of the day <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that seems just going through my head because like how do you how do you dramatize people doing trigonometry <laughs> they're doing math on screen and like the the music is hitting right and they're like you know thumbs up thumbs up thumbs up you know they did it Paul 13 great movie <clears throat> there you go well uh, did you see in the news just, uh, was it yesterday that the gas pipelines coming out of Russia were blown up? <laughs> did you no, see that? I did not. You haven't? Oh, wow. Seems uh, like a big deal. I saw that Putin basically issued a, a warning to all U.S. citizens in Russia that they had to get out, leave now. Yeah, yeah, all six embassies have to. I know, I know, I saw the embassy thing. So all six U.S. embassies uh, have to leave. I think. Yeah, I think I think it's the Russians who did that. The who, the Russians who blew up the Russian pipeline. You think the Russians blew up their own pipelines? Well, they get they get blamed for everything, right? So. Well, that's true. I mean, that's yeah. that's kind of the way it goes. It was Russians. <laughs> it was Russians. Russians well, did everything. How did how did Hillary lose the election in sixteen? It was the Russians. It was Russians. It was yeah. Russians. Yeah. Same thing with Trump losing in. Yeah. How did Trump lose twenty twenty? It was the Russians. The Russians. Yeah. It was the Russians. That's right. Russian collusion, etc. How'd how'd Hunter Biden's laptop get lost? Ah, it was the Russians. It was the Russians. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, crazy world we live in. For sure. Did you hear about the uh, FBI raiding the uh, Catholic pro-life guy's house? I did hear something about that. Tell me yeah. more. Let's see here. Here's the headline. FBI raids home of Catholic pro-life speaker author with guns drawn as his terrified kids watch. Right. So they Elian Gonzalez'd him. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> No, okay. Elian Gonzalez. That was like a, that's a middle school news reference. You, <laughs> you were you were already on top of the geopolitics. Well, it's by because seventh they, grade, my friend, by seventh grade, it's it was it was it, it was uh, an example of uh, you know how the the media they they grab hold of an image and you know because the image was you know here's the guy holding Elian Gonzalez and here's um, this. Uh, heavily armored uh you know bulletproof vest helmet gloves with gun drawn and that's the snapshot that went viral back in the day 
Um, you know, and everybody, everybody was outraged because, you know, it looks like the gun is being pointed at Elyon, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like, oh, these, you know, it's awful, terrible. And so, you know, here's this other news story now, years later, and it's, I mean, they didn't have the, the kids stayed upstairs, right? The kids, they, they made them stay upstairs when they raided this guy's house. The wife was very vocal and saying, you, you know, you don't have a warrant. And, um, then they produced like the first page of a warrant. Someone went out to the car and got it. It's like, what? Um, early morning, typical, you know, uh, early morning raid on this guy's house. Um, but you know, the kids, even though they're upstairs, they can still see down the stairs and they see what's going on with daddy and the FBI. So yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That happened. That happened a few days ago. So yet a, yet another example, at least it's been, um, kind of championed as, as a, another example of how Merrick Garland's department of justice is just, uh, running rampant and targeting Christians or conservatives, or in this case, a pro-life Catholic guy. And so anyway, get, you know, get ready for your persecution, America, <laughs> American Christian. Here it comes. Yeah. Speaking of getting ready, it seems like maybe now is a good time to, uh, for, I'm thinking specifically of Christian men, right? Cause I think it's right for the Christian men to step up and set the example for whatever, whatever we're telling the church to do. It's just like, well, then the first ones who need to do it and, and set the example would be Christian men. And so well, what do you think about the church becoming more acquainted and practiced in the spiritual art of fasting? You know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because just yesterday I was having a conversation with some folks who were asking me about fasting. <clears throat> and uh, when I've taught on fasting... By the way, when's the last time you heard a sermon or a Bible class on fasting? Well, if you go to Davis Park, it's relatively recently because I did it. It was before the pandemic, but <clears throat> I did a series on spiritual disciplines and I covered fasting. And yeah. it's a it's a lost art among Christians. But um, I, I I definitely think that it's it's a valuable thing. I. I believe that, um, you know, there, there are certain things that I've learned. Richard J. Foster has a great chapter on fasting in Celebration of Discipline. And he's engaged in like 40-day fast. And so he he's very familiar with it um, in that when he regard. Does his, when he does his 40-day fast, is that a total fast where he's just doing water? I believe so. I'd have to go back and look again. But... Because usually when I hear these people doing long, you know, 30, 40 day fast, it's typically, uh, they're only fasting in the day and then they're eating in the evening. Mm, no, he wasn't, he wasn't eating. Yeah. Um, and that's, by the way, that's, um, one of my particular we, things about fasting. Which I think is, is cheating, but go ahead. <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, biblically speaking, fasting is the total abstinence from food. Uh, but you're right. You do, you do. Uh, drink water. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, I know there's folks who give stuff up, uh, at certain times, but to call that a fast, I think stretches the language too far. It's a modern, yeah, it's a modern use of the word. Right. Right. It's not a technical sense. 
If you want to give stuff up, that's great. I'm all for it, but just call it that. Don't call it a fast because it's not, biblically speaking, a fast. That's yeah, my beef. It's just a form of abstinence, right? Right. And so fasting, biblically speaking, is um, uh, not eating food for a designated period of time. That's right. Um, and it's usually the time is already is declared from the beginning uh, of the fast. Like you right. know how long it's going to be. Like you say it's going to be a certain length. And there's, so, a, there's a purpose behind that because uh, the, the, the way your mind and body works when you know when the fast ends is totally different if there's no ending. Like if there's no goal, then uh, you're your body and your mind react totally differently. So I've noticed every time that I fast, when I come to the end of the fasting period, whether it's, you know, uh, a three-day fast or a seven-day fast, when you get to that last 24 hours, uh, that's when I think one of the larger sets of, of series of temptations come in. And because uh, it's the you're almost there anyway kind of temptation. And uh, yeah, and then as soon as the timer's up, all of that craving, all of the uh, excitement and desire, as soon as the, the time is up and you, like, you can now fast, you can now stop fasting, you can now eat, uh, the realization of actually eating again is only about one-tenth of the imagined like satisfaction and, and the desire that was pre the timer was up. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. So it's like a very interesting phenomenon that I've experienced every single time. As soon as the fast is over and I eat again, which by the way, when you end your fast, when you start like leading into the fast and then when leading out of the fast, you do stuff that's easy on the stomach, right? And you don't gorge yourself. Right. You know, fruit, <laughs> yogurt, eggs, you know, small small things. So easy to process things. Toast. So, yeah, you get to the end of the fast. You're craving. It's like you're smelling the best lasagna you've ever smelt in your life. You're like, oh, sweetie, as soon as I'm done with this fast, please cook this lasagna again because it's the best I've ever smelt in my life. <laughs> <laughs> and then you end the fast and you get lasagna again and uh, it's just like oh yeah this is good it's not that drug like euphoria satisfaction if that's not there the, because uh, the temptation's gone you're no longer breaking your set guideline right you're no it's no longer forbidden and so it's actually a pretty a pretty good parallel for sin. It's almost like a it's like a practice simulation for sin and temptation in a safer environment where it's just like you're not actually going to hurt yourself or anybody else by cheating on your fast, right? But it's a it's a perfect simulation as far as what's going on in your body and your in your mind and your soul. Uh, when you're saying no, I have to I have to keep this fast because I've said this much time and you and you and so once you set that it's just like yeah that's a it's like uh being one of the x-men in the danger room it's just like you know it's it's real but not real 
<laughs> and it's it's hard too fasting um not uh if 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 it were easy everybody would do it right so um there's right. a reason why in the old testament on certain uh feast days and and during cel- certain celebrations the text says they were to afflict themselves and i mean that's that's terminology that that is intended to communicate and that that's typical fast language and it's intended to communicate yeah it's it's hard you are afflicting yourself i think on those feast days too they uh it wasn't even too too extreme it was usually just like a day and normally right. they they just counted the day as the sun sunrise to sunset because uh you sleep at night anyway and so it's just like you you start your your fast at sunset and uh and and you go to so you maybe miss your meal that evening you go to sleep you wake up and then the next evening like you've done it from sunset to sunset and so it's like oh now now you eat the next evening so it's not really that hard of a fast uh and that probably makes it more accessible for a broader population to participate especially since it's ordered within the feast and the feasts are you know meant to be uh, inclusive and participatory. And so normally when you see a longer fast, it's because something serious is happening, right? They're in trouble. Uh, they're afraid of something. Uh, you know, they're about to like when they trek back out of, uh, Babylon from, from exile to start resettling the city again. It's like, yeah, they, they fast leading into that. And of course, when they're times, uh, where they're besieged, they're fasting, they're praying, in ashes and sackcloth. And so those are the longer fasts. Those are those are more serious. But I tell you what, Nick, there's a big difference between fasting and starving. And you want to know what it is? What's that? Intention. Oh yeah. Yeah. So when when you're fasting, you're telling your body that you have food, I'm just not giving it to you. And so your body reacts differently than it's the mind-body connection. Then if you're starving and your mind and your body says, I want food, and your mind says, I'm so sorry, we don't have food. I don't know if we're going to have food. We're, we're in a famine or something like that. It's like, well, everything, your, your mind, your body, your soul, everything reacts differently with that kind of intention uh, as opposed to saying, no, no, I'm doing this, I'm doing this on purpose because – the, the the soul, the will, is in control, and the body is to be subservient to that. And within and that comes the practice of overcoming temptation, going to God in prayer, understanding your weaknesses, all of that wrapped up into this spiritual discipline. And it seems like that would be, uh, and, and you don't, and, you, and you're not good at it at first either. <laughs> Nobody's really good at fasting. Unless you uh, perhaps grew up poor and you only like got used to eating once a day anyway, and so in that case, it's just like you you might be a little more naturally attuned to to fasting because hunger is more normalized in your life, and so your body is is used to that. But for most people, you're not actually good at fasting. You have to practice it. <laughs> you have to you have to become better at it and get used to the uh, the feelings and the waves and the coping mechanisms. And so it seems like having that uh, 
experience and tool already in your life, prepared to go, that to me feels like uh, more valuable than any kind of uh, like prepping outfit, you know, you know, any kind of like, well, I'm gonna, if we run, if we run short on food, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll just stock up on, you know, a, two years of, of dried food. It's just like, uh, <laughs> good luck. Good luck. You'd probably be better off learning how to fast. <laughs> well, and yeah, you're, you're exactly right about the intention. It's, it's the fast is communicating that you are willing to lay aside the sustenance you need for survival in order to, to say to God, I am looking to you to sustain me for this amount of time. And, um, you know, I, I, as far as like practical advice, um, in order to ease folks into it, I think to circle back to what you mentioned about, you know, the, those, uh, feast days and, and when they were to afflict themselves and they would miss, you know, just, uh, a, a few meals from sun up or sundown to sundown, the, um, what I typically advise people is, uh, and this I got from Richard J. Foster in his, his chapter on fasting, uh, lunch to lunch, noon to noon. And what you end up missing is a dinner and a breakfast. And dinner might be tough because you're so used to dinner. Uh, and so, you, you know, going to bed hungry, that may be a difficult thing. But, you know, when you sleep, you know, your body is kind of attuned to not eating. And when you wake up, it's called breakfast for a reason. You are breaking that fast that you had overnight, but skipping that, um, isn't as difficult as, um, uh, because your body is, has kind of gone into this hibernation mode as it were overnight. Right. And so, you know, you can break that fast at lunchtime. You've missed two meals. You've done 24 hours and, and that's, that's a, a win as it were. And yeah. I also advise folks who have medical concerns like diabetes and things mm -hmm. like that to be mindful as well, that there are caveats that are, right. that go along with this. Um, and you know, uh, talk with a doctor. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you, yeah, if you have any kind of health complications, uh, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and you know, there's something to be said for fasting on behalf of others as well. That is, um, something that can bring more bonding and cohesiveness to a spiritual community where, uh, if some are not fasting, like, I don't think children should fast. Um, I, th I don't think, uh, well, I don't, I, I don't think women should be the first ones, uh, fasting either. I think. I think the men, the young, especially the young men, I think the young men and the leaders, they should be the ones first and foremost to fast and their fasting should be for themselves, for their families and for their community. And it should be on behalf of them. And this is actually a archetypical of the old Testament sacrificial system where you have these different spaces of sacredness that have more and more qualifications as you get closer and closer to the temple and then inside the temple. Each of those spaces is entered into by someone who represents those in the previous spaces. 
So by the time you get the head of the household into the courtyard to offer the animal sacrifice, he is representing his entire household, his wife, his children, his slaves, and, you know, maybe not, not to uh, use the heart, not use the S word, but <laughs> it's like, that's what they were. They were slaves, household servants. Um, it's representative. And so he comes on behalf of them. And then guess what? Only one guy goes into the Holy of Holies and only one time a year and only as a representative of himself and the entire people of Israel. And so it seems fitting then that that representation model be incorporated into our families and communities so that the men come as representatives of ones who will sacrifice on behalf of their family and their community and their church. So I think that's why there needs to be a calling uh, today to the church, but the men of those church to step up and start fasting. And in that fasting, it's almost like a crucible. It builds character. It shows you that uh, you can handle tough times and it dissipates fear because you are emptying yourself and it's just left with you and God. And that's what strengthens your faith. That's why it's a spiritual discipline. That's why it's a tool. That's why it's so useful. That's why it's done in times of dire, uh, uh, direness and stress. And it should be done by us, the men, the leaders. You know, so, all this talk about men, Alex, it's just, this is just patriarchy I'm hearing. <laughs> Hey, you know what? That's just uh, that's just another one of those hits. That's just like, okay, fine. Rake me through the coals, hit me as much as you want. You know, I'm gonna be like Rocky Balboa, and I'm just gonna get up and keep going. <laughs> I'm gonna get back up, and I'm gonna keep fighting. It's like I don't care. Keep hitting me, right? Hit no me again. No matter how hard the world hits you, you keep getting up. <laughs> that's right. It's not how hard you hit how hard you can get hit and keep getting back up because you better keep, than that keep moving forward <laughs> that's right that's right uh. and so and really that's a that's a messianic message that's a christ-like archetype right it was it was jesus who let Pilate take him to the pillar to be scourged on behalf of us right and so by his stripes, we are healed. It's for our benefit. And so we take that and we uh, fill up the measure of suffering that um, is still there to be filled. Not for, not for salvation, that's already been completed, but for sanctification. And that's what we talked about in our podcast with... Uh, it's Colossians, right? Uh, Philippians? Philippians, okay. Filling up the measure of suffering uh, of Christ. That's right. So, yeah, I mean, you got uh, you got kids, you got a wife. Okay, if you're a man, I want you to fast one day for yourself, one day for your wife, and one day for each of your kids. And if you can't do that all at once, then spread it out. And do that once a year. 
or once a season, you know, whatever, whatever you think is fitting. And I think that would be, uh, I think that would be great. I think that would be strengthening to the church as a whole by taking their, by taking their soldiers and saying, wake up, you know, it's time to, it's time to be men, take your hits, keep going, let's go, right? This is, this is the church and we got work to do. And I think that's going to be needed, you know, to me, uh, I may, I may be pessimistic in my outlook of the world, which I think has a lot of good reasons to, to be pessimistic on my outlook on the world <laughs> these days, especially, but I'm not pessimistic in my outlook on the church. And so I still believe in, uh, God's grand providence and plan for his church to display uh, in Christ the wisdom and glory of our Father in heaven to the whole world and to the uh, and to the powers in the heavenly realms. And so, uh, difficult times are going to be the the fire of uh, refinement that the church will experience one way or another. And yeah, what you're describing is authentic manhood patterned after the model of Christ, which rejects passivity. Uh, Adam in the garden embraces passivity. He is right there with Eve while she is being tempted and he does nothing. And uh, so comes the fall. Uh, Christ, the second Adam, comes and he rejects passivity and uh, he actively loves his bride by laying down his life for her on the cross. Uh, where, where Adam fails to crush the head of the serpent and instead gives in, uh, goes in eyes wide open. Eve is deceived. Adam goes in eyes wide open. Uh, Christ comes, the second Adam, and he crushes the head of the serpent. And so... Uh, yeah, re the rejection of passivity. It is very easy to, you know, uh, disconnect, to uh, just sit and uh, very passively claim to be a Christian without actually engaging in the spiritual disciplines, to be distracted from our distractions by our distractions. But it's a completely different thing to reject that passivity and uh, just as you were describing, Alex, to do the hard things uh, that are uh, that we're called to in Christ. Yeah. And um, while the the world is active, you know, I tossed in there about the patriarchy. The world is actively dismantling authentic manhood, or manhood just generally. It, it's all just toxic masculinity, etc. And we, on the other hand, Christians ought to be about uh, building our ark, as it were, condemning the world as we do it, like Noah did. And um, uh, while the world's dismantling, deconstructing, we're actually building something that's going to last into eternity. And so, that's right. yeah. And this rejection of passivity is, uh, it's not a calling to aggressiveness. It's not a, um, 
it's the intention. It's like with fasting, the difference between fasting and starving is intention. And so that's the same thing with uh, the difference between letting uh, Pilate take you to the pillar and um, and then just, you know, letting yourself uh, be a doormat and a victim. It's just like, well, well, what's the difference between those two scenarios? Well, the difference is intention. It's like the intention of Christ is to lay down his life, to be the sacrifice, to step up and take the hits on our behalf. And so that's much, much different than uh, sitting by and being a victim or being stepped on. It's just like, no, 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 That's those are two different things, and the difference is the intention. And so if you're bringing the intention of being a godly man, then you can take those hits, and you can get up, and you can move forward, right? You can be you can be the Rocky. You can be the imitation of Christ in your family and in your community. And so that's, um, I think, the, the safeguarding from wanting to uh, be Peter and cut off Malchus's ear, right? Going for the headshot. Just like, K-Foss, put away your sword, right? That's not... Uh, that's not the type of action that Christ is calling for us. At least not, not in the sense of the Christian men in the church stepping up to be the leaders of their families and their churches. So intention, intention makes all the difference. If you're, if you're doing the hard things and taking on the hard things intentionally, that's, that's much different than feeling like uh, things are coming at you out of control and you're drowning. It's like, that's much, much different. It may look the same on the outside uh, as far as like physical consequences, but it's not the same in your mind and in your body, in your soul, and it's because of your will, the intention. So it's kind of weird and it's not, a promotion of masochistic thinking, but we have to be more intentional with our suffering, I think. And fasting's the, I think the the most effective, easiest, quickest way to 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 lean into that, lean into that idea of intentional suffering. So, Nick, if uh, we're not doing the podcast for a while. Do you have any uh, interesting ideas or plans coming up for your own ministry and work schedule? I'm always busy <clears throat> on other platforms. Um, yeah, where can fact, people keep up with you? Livefromthepulpit.com, L-I-V-E, fromthepulpit.com is where I host my other podcast, the one I've, I've been doing for years. It kind of went on hiatus for a few years because I was busy doing this uh, particular podcast, but it's back. It's back up. Um, I've been posting things, uh, new episodes uh, on there uh, since looks like May. Um, I have an update on there. If you want a, a fuller update of what I've been up to for the past three years, uh, back on June 9th, there's an episode about that. And here in recent days, um, this in September, uh, talked about Brueggemann and Beth Moore scripture, 
and responding to assertions concerning how we got the Bible uh, against universalism. Uh, a couple episodes. I got a third one. I'll, I'll probably record, if not later today, tomorrow, on uh, uh, universalism and just demonstrating how it, it cannot stand up scripturally. Um, which is strange, right? Who would be against universalism? Well, I, I think if you want to uh, use scripture as your guide for everything, there are certain conclusions that uh, inevitably fall out of that. And so I've been working through that and the, the various texts that are marshaled in order to demonstrate, or at least uh, those who argue for universalism seem to think support that. And I've uh, worked through them exegetically in order to demonstrate how they fall apart, collapse under their own weight. And then also, uh, notsecretsecret.wordpress.com, notsecretsecret.wordpress.com uh, is where I post uh, a lot of my other writings um, that, uh, in fact, right now, uh, I just finished uh, posting my commentary on... Um, it's, it's like a mix between the Apostles' Creed with a bit of the Nicene Creed mixed in just for clarity. And so um, I don't know how many posts there are, but there's a bunch. I've got the whole index available on the website. That's the first, currently, the first um, post that you'll see. It's We Believe. And so um, all there, all free. And then also Life from the Pulpit, L-I-F-E, from the pulpit .wordpress.com is where I have all of my other commentary writing, commentaries on Luke, James, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Philippians, Ephesians, uh, stuff from the Psalms, Jonah, Ruth, uh, and I just finished 1st Peter. All of 1st Peter is up now. And all of that is indexed as well. If you uh, go to the website on the right-hand side, you scroll down to categories, you'll see uh, in their index. If you click that, that'll bring up the index to, or the indices to all of the commentaries that I've written, all free, all available uh, for the church uh, as well. Um, I did start a sub stack. I just don't know exactly how to use it yet, <laughs> but uh, it, it's, that's, the sub stack is supposed to be like where everything goes, just one-stop shop for all things life from the pulpit, but uh, I don't know. I'm not tech savvy enough to to figure it all out, but um, we're always active on the Davis Park Church of Christ YouTube channel as well. Um, Sunday sermon, uh, Bible Wednesday night Bible classes, um, Monday nights is when I go live on the YouTube channel, Davis Park Church of Christ YouTube channel, and certainly uh, listeners are invited to subscribe to that channel and just kind of follow me there. Thursday nights, we also go live. The other minister on staff here, Buddy, Buddy Gray, he uh, goes live and, and uh, we just kind of, that, that's, that's, sometimes it's unscripted. Sometimes I do throw some thoughts down on the page, but um, uh, he's, he's usually pretty structured. He'll have a PowerPoint that goes along with what he's talking about, but just a lot of, a lot of extracurricular stuff that way as well. Uh, so, yeah, like I said, I, I stay very active. If you want to follow me, there are several different places that uh, all my stuff can be found. Um, and the uh, Live from the Pulpit podcast is available in iTunes. And I believe, 
Um, I was able to link it to Spotify as well, but I have to double check that and make sure that's functioning properly. But um, yeah, lots. And, and the Live from the Pulpit podcast, there's over 300 episodes that are up right now that go all the way back to 2013. So I've been actively podcasting now for, well, well, prior to having this platform, I had other platforms elsewhere. So I've probably been podcasting for about a decade. <laughs> just, just realized that. Um, but the, the first, the first uh, venture into podcasting that I did was on a platform called mypodcast.com. I did like 40 episodes on there. And then uh, they just like closed, closed up shop and didn't exist anymore. And I was like, oh, so I had to go find other places and almost everywhere, you know, they want you to pay something. And so I, I did one here and one there. I did, I did like a hundred episodes in just like three different places before finally setting, settling on WordPress. And WordPress um, is, is the, the official host of the Live from the Pulpit podcast. But I have the domain name, so it's just livefromthepulpit.com. And uh, yeah, there's, there's a bunch of back stuff, archives that if you want to dive into, I mean, it's, it's all there. Uh, and I talk about everything, current events, um, angelology, um, apologetics, I have a series on the Beatitudes, um, discipleship. I'm just there's there's categories that are available on the website as well. How we got the Bible. I have my whole teaching on there. I think I have to update um, one of the episodes, but uh, I talk about uh, there's episodes about mental health, miracles, um, the the Revelation. I I do a whole. 24, I think, part teaching on the Revelation. I have uh, also Daniel, the book of Daniel, uh, my teaching. I think I have like 14 episodes on that. So there's usually like two episodes of intro material and then a chapter per episode. Um, six questions to ask a skeptic. That was a sermon series I did several years ago. Uh, prayer. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a bunch of stuff on there. If you're interested, oh, diligent listener. Um Feel free. It's all there, all available. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's where I am. And yeah, I stay pretty busy with all that. Well, that's quite the resume, Nick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I suppose so. Put that on a CV, become a professor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That'll take up more than one page. It takes up several pages on the internet. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> so you could be uh, an online professor. You already are. Look at all the curriculum you have available. <laughs> yeah, the Nick Perez University, I guess. Well, that's right. <laughs> you just need to get people to start paying paying you tuition. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for the church, right? That's that's what it's about. Um, all of my scholastic endeavors, um, which I, you know, um, on the not secret secret dot wordpress dot com uh, page, when you go there, it uh, it can be <laughs> kind of disorienting. It's just part of my own twisted sense of humor, I guess. It's called the Modesto Evening Newspaper, <laughs> but uh, wasn't there? Anyway. Some sort of uh, 
thing called The Secret, and it was like one of those. Uh, it was uh, it was New Age. It was uh, yeah, Eckhart Tolle. Eckhart Tolle um, was part of that. I don't know if he wrote The Secret. That may have been written by someone else. But That's, yeah, every time you talk about not not secret secret, I I keep thinking of of The Secret. Just <laughs> like. Uh, disclaimer, Nick is not trying to, uh, rip you off or sell you anything. And Hence so, the not secret part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, that, that page has all of my papers that I wrote during grad school. Um, like I wrote, I wrote a paper on the Johannine description of the eschatological fate of unbelievers. In other words, everything John writes about, well, not everything, but a lot of the things that John writes about. Um, hell and eternal destruction. There's a paper, a resurrection of judgment is what the title is. Um, I have musings on the twilight zone. <laughs> uh, the episode, I, the beholder, I have reflections on that. Um, baptism in the book of acts, identifying the normative conversion experience in acts. I had to write a paper for my new Testament orientation class. That's the paper, um, in our image, a biblical case for human cloning excuse me, a biblical case against human cloning. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> no, no, sorry, read that wrong. <laughs> against, against um, human cloning. Uh, an exegesis of Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Um, New Testament author's use of rhetoric. So, I mean, yeah, I'm just scrolling through here. Uh, a book review of Eastern Orthodox Theology by Daniel B. Clendenin. Uh, might be of interest to folks. Um, I read the book for one of my grad school, one of my graduate classes, and had to write a review, obviously. Um, yeah, there's several book reviews as well uh, that are available on there. Um, yeah, so a lot of stuff. So people can still keep up with you, look at the... Uh, stuff that you've put out in the past and it sounds like you're going to keep putting out plenty of content going on in the future. So that's good for our listeners to know if they want to follow you and keep up with all of that stuff. Uh, you, we'll have to put some of these links in the description. You named off too many things for me to remember right now. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll send yeah. them to you live from the pulpit. I remember life from the pulpit, not secret secret. So we'll, we'll get some links put up in the description. That'll be a good reference for other people. Uh, I don't have anything else for people to follow, so I'll, I'll just see you later. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yep. I, of course, have lots of project ideas, but... Um, yeah. Which, know. by the way, speaking of ideas, this uh, hats off to you, my friend. The Swordplay podcast was your idea. Um, I don't know if we talked about it before, but Alex contacted me and was like, hey, what do you think about doing a podcast together? And I mean, I'd already been podcasting, but I was like, I, I, uh, it, it, that's a solo thing. Uh, the Live from the Pulpit podcast is just me. But to do it in an interactive way like this um, was certainly a new thing. And uh, that was that was the the brainchild of Alex, and so um, we we've been collaborating now for several years, and and now we have this catalog of I mean we've done 
First John, uh, Philippi. We've done all the all all the short books up to like five chapters, I think, in the New Testament. And then we've got a bunch of stuff in the Old Testament. We've got special studies. I was just talking to someone here recently, a young guy, youth group age guy, who was listening to our podcast and listened to the Angel of the Lord uh, episode. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was a good every episode. now and again, yeah, yeah, every now and again, someone comes up to me and is like, "Hey, I'm I've been listening to your podcast, and we do have some some super fans out there, like we mentioned earlier." who um, uh, they listen to it repeatedly um, and have gone through uh, the the archival episodes and gone through every episode, which we have over 100 now, I believe. Yeah, that's right. And just started over. So, Yeah, this uh, is episode 105. <clears throat> and those episodes are... Almost always over an hour long, so I mean, I would say we've we've probably got at least 130 hours of content. <laughs> so, and for every for every hour of content, represents, I would say, uh, for me, at least eight hours of work, right? Eight to ten hours of work. So, so for the 105 episodes, for me, that represents over a thousand hours of labor. Which is good for me, because as you know, as someone in ministry, uh, teaching Bible, preaching, you have to stay sharp. You have to keep studying. You have to keep learning and refining what you've learned, exploring new ideas, new concepts, different positions and views, and uh, that never stops. Yeah, that just keeps going on and on and on. And if you don't have a way to do that. I feel like it will be, uh, it, in my, in my context, it would be difficult for me to continue to give my best to those who want to listen to what I have to say. If I'm not sharpening myself in a regular structured way. And so the podcast has offered a practical, uh, format for me to, for me to do that. And so it's been personally edifying, but then also, uh, you know, part of what I wanted to accomplish was, you know, just the idea of leaving something behind for my, for my kids and grandkids. And so it's just like, Hey, what did, uh, if I were to, uh, if I were to die before my kids are grown, you know, I would want my kids to hear my voice and to know what I thought about the Bible. And, uh, of course it's not a replacement for teaching them and being attentive to them now while I'm alive. But to me, it was a nice insurance plan to be like, okay, what's the most important thing I want to leave behind to them. I want them to know that dad really loved the Bible and poured his heart and soul into understanding God's word. And so the archives serve that purpose. Or even if, uh, you know, I, I die before my grandkids get to know me, it's just like, ah, they're going to have grandpa's voice on uh, recording to hear what he thought about the Bible. And, you know, they can, they can have that. That's there. And that's true for you and your kids and your grandkids too now, Nick. Of course, you, you already had tons and tons of content out there as well. But I think it's also 
uh, interesting and fun to hear somebody interact with another, you know, believer with a friend, with a, uh, with a, uh, well, what's, if I, if, if it was a, a Japanese anime, it'd be a rival <laughs> <laughs> where like, you're not enemies, you're frenemies. And so <laughs> the, uh, red versus blue, you know, you got to, uh, sharpen each other as iron sharpens iron. And of course that leads both, both people into a stronger, uh, level of being to fight against the real enemy. So yeah, I feel like this has been a, a fun endeavor and something that, you know, I hope we can pick back up again sometime in the future. My, my ideal version of sword play in the future would be, uh, switching from audio to video where we could see each other, post it on YouTube, reach a wider audience and kind of have more of that interactive, uh, presentation for, for people to enjoy and to become a part of. So, yeah, I don't have anything else to say, Nick. What about you? Any final thoughts? I think we've upholstered the subject. Special announcement. Well, thank you, diligent listeners, for hanging in there for 105 episodes. We hope that uh, what is out will continue to be useful to you in your future studies and uh, in your continued walk with Christ. And uh, yeah, as we said in the beginning, the episodes will remain up online for uh, people to see and to refer back to. And uh, yeah, and so from here until until next year, for my family, my household, it's about the journey from Minnesota to Kansas. And uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, if I mentioned this or not earlier, but you know the the major motivating factors for that journey to take place uh, basically comes down to two two overarching needs for our family. You know, the first one is to be close to family. So it's just our family up here in Minnesota. And so to be closer to family as we try to wrangle around, I almost said strangle, which is also true for kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's funny. Cause I saw, I saw a picture of you guys on Facebook. I think it was, it was of your kids. And I was like, I think the miracle in this shot is they got all four of them to sit still yeah. long enough to take the picture. <laughs> yeah. What people don't know is that was take two. <laughs> <laughs> there was a good hour and a half of screaming in between take one and take two. So, <laughs> so to be close to family. Yeah. Uh, so to be close to family, to have that family support. When we came to Minnesota, we were two people and we're coming back six people. And so that's, that's a big change. And, um, and the second need is, uh, I think we need to be in a more established congregation. And so we have our house church. It's always been small. It's been, uh, full of blessings and learning experiences. And we've been, I think a great help through the Lord to the people we minister, but we need, I think <clears throat> a period of, uh, being ministered to as well where there's a more of a reciprocal 
relationship. And that's something that I think a more established congregation uh, is meant to offer. And so uh, that's our hope for the future is to plug into a more established congregation, be closer to family. And uh, we'll see what ministry looks like after that. So I, I plan on remaining in ministry, but in what shape, form, and fashion, we will find out next year. Very Abrahamic, venturing out, not knowing where you're going. I mean, you have a destination to land yeah. at, but in terms of uh That means ministry. all the land from St. Paul to Wichita will be inherited by my descendants. That's right, everywhere you set your foot. <laughs> Iowa, you're, mount, you're now mine. Missouri, <laughs> part of you is now mine. Kansas, yeah. you're now mine. That's right. <laughs> Southern Minnesota, you're now mine. So, <laughs> The new land of Israel. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick. Well, why don't you tell our audience uh, one last time what they can do for the podcast and if people have questions they can still send it in we can still email so we are still all the all the episodes available on various streaming platforms uh, podcast places itunes spotify amazon google music and if you can leave a review in those places the appropriate number of stars is five and feel free to share the podcast on various uh, social media if you are inclined to do so. That'll help us, uh, well, it'll help the podcast get out and let folks know, hey, there's this archive here of a bunch of stuff that can be beneficial to them. And if they, if you do have a question, yeah, feel free to send it in to... Swordplaypodcast at gmail.com. Swordplaypodcast at gmail.com. That'll remain up because... It's free, so. <laughs> <laughs> and checked from time to time. And checked from time to time. So we still are very interested in answering your questions, O oh diligent listener. And uh, this has been Swordplay, your double-edged perspective on Scripture.